It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle racing world right to you. I'm your host, PJ Doran, along with Tony Wink. This week we have Henry Wiles, Kyle Cunningham, and Scott Casper. But first, here's the latest in the news in the industry, Tony. All right, and it is the off-season, but we're only about 26 days until Anaheim 1, which is January 4th in the Angel Stadium. And my hero, our local guy, Justin Brayton, is having a heck of an offseason. He, obviously the big news, signs with Factory Honda, right next to Ken Roxon. He gets to bring his own mechanic, Brent Duffy, who's another Iowa native. Chips are falling Brayton's way. Chips are falling Brayton's way. It's such a, I mean, if this was, if he said this was his, his last year and he said nothing about that, but the guy's not much younger than me. I raced yeah. with him on, in amateur days and he was younger then, but man. So he goes over, this is the 2018 Daytona winner. He goes overseas. He's now a four-time Australian Supercross champ. The last race he races with three broken ribs, a punctured lung. Doesn't tell anybody. That's I'm amazing. In, I'm down in Baja. I run into Chris Nelson, who's a Ford Dodge native. He says to me, can you believe that Justin's doing all this injured? And I said, I didn't know anything about it. So some of the guys knew about it, apparently, but I didn't until I heard it through the grapevine down in Baja. But this is a guy, he wins his, his fourth Australian Supercross championship he comes home he does two days of photo shoots with ken roxon and the rest of the team gets back on a plane goes back to race the geneva supercross he's now a six-time king of geneva and there was no there was lots of guys there we had i know there was barsha was there justin barsha uh martin davalos actually davalos looked really good on the 450 and uh davalos won the first moto Got second, the second moto. Brayton won, got second, the first moto won, the first, uh, the second moto. So it, they were tied for points at 35, but Brayton got the nod because obviously the second moto win. Malcolm Stewart was there. Justin Barsha was there. Vince Friese, Fabian Azwa, Mike Alessi, Thomas Ramet. Who else? I mean, there was, there was Adam Engtinap. He was, he was uh, part of uh, one of our guests that we have coming up, Kyle Cunningham. He's going to be his team teammate this year. So um, there was a lot of, U.S. Supercross guys, and the and obviously U.S. Supercross guys are better than overseas European Supercross guys, but we had our own handful of, of American riders there, plus the best of the overseas guys. So I'm, I'm really excited for Justin Brayton this year. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he, he wins heat races this year, if he wins main events. You know, it's going to be have to, it's going to have to be a deal like Daytona where, Everything falls, Everything falls his, yeah. his way. And a it, little bit of difficulties for your standard bearers. And another lap at Daytona. And it wasn't happening. Eli, I don't know that. But it Tomac was, might. <laughs> he might have pulled a Tomac. You know? Tomac was gaining school bus lengths yeah. each straightaway, each he, each rhythm section. So, yeah. um, But, it, I mean, it's so exciting to see Brayton, you know, just building steam. I, I hold my breath every time the guy races because I'm so nervous. You know, I, I, you want to see him end on his own terms. Speaking of holding your breath, Marvin Miskin is going to miss. They announced an entire Supercross season. Oh, it's huge. Another injury to the ACL. He missed, I think it was 11 and 14 seasons, entire seasons, for the exact same thing. Miskin's now pushing 30 years old. He's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. He's not won a title. He, they've spent so much money at KTM. Where do you? He's so talented. I mean, when he when health is health is the wild card that unfortunately a lot of it. it, He's not the only racer in our in any of sports history, but in motocross especially, to suffer with just a run of bad issues that take him out of contention when he clearly has the speed to be a front runner. So the news I think or the the buzz is not that he's out, but who's going to take his ride? And so I got a couple things here. Brock Tickle. 
suspended for for from WADA. Yeah, which they've decided that WADA is going to leave the FIM. We That's don't need good them. news. That's big news. That's big news and good news. We talked about that months ago yep. about it. So his suspension is up February of 2020. So he's he was a factory KTM guy when he was suspended. He has been loyal to the brand. If you watch his social media, he's been around. He's helped with the team. He's been on the bike. He, obviously, he wants the nod. Hey, he wants to be in. But can they start a season without him? I mean, do you do you want to give it away? Yeah, why not? He's a filling rider. But yeah. here's the here's another one, Chad Reed. Oh my Chad gosh. Reed's been on every brand but that one. Oh man, that'd he, be huge. This is his farewell tour. He's announced that this is his last season. the The autograph line is going to be longer for Chad Reed than anybody in the pits. Mark my words. The guy is is super famous. Yeah, marketing aspect. Why not have him on Why your team? Why not? He's been he's he's a guy that you'd sell a lot of jerseys at a lot of dealerships around the country if it's an orange one with Reed on the back. Good thinking. You working at a KTM dealership? Yeah. That's it's it's huge. It's, you put those on the shelf and they're gone. And here's the thing about Chad Reed. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins one. The nope. guy is you never still talented. Never bet against a champion. And Chad Reed is the guy. He's the freaking man. He's he's. And, you know, there's been times that I've been wondering, why is he still out there? But then... He shows you. He shows you. <laughs> Every shows once you. in a while. <laughs> With all of his heart, and it's always a heartwarming and, and stirring event when he, out of nowhere, blows everybody's minds. Holy cow, it's Reed again. He's on the starting line, and he's got a whole shot, and he's this or he's that. He's in the lead group. It's always the announcers go nuts. It, it makes everybody... Uh, it's entertaining. Okay, so speaking of KTM, I want to address this. At your dealership, I saw the electric KTM mini bike, which is the it's sold instantly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's it's uh, the fi- the equivalent to a fifty junior, I think. Yep. They call it the fifty E or something. Or yep. Yep. Okay. So the future's coming. The future's here. I yeah, talked to a guy is. that I know that lived in China, and he says that like I think gas powered mopeds or motorcycles are illegal over there they're all electric they're going now. electric yep. so we know it's coming it absolutely is um there's it's uh it it's going to change it, it it's just ktm being involved in this okay you look at their lineup there's a hundred different dirt bikes they're so specific on what on on the application purpose of each one purpose yep. specific bikes and i have fought it and fought it i have a husky now 300 you can't beat it yeah it's so good and i didn't get the tpi model now i wish i had but they had some issues the first year so that's why yeah. i skipped it it's a 2018 bike so now the ktm is going to sell these e-bikes and they have been already for they some ha- time in europe okay it's been in europe they've been selling them. isn't there a lot less working parts isn't there a lot of less opportunity for ktm to sell i mean it, it's i would gonna, think so it's going to change the industry and 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 so i i shared Hicklin Power Sports put up the shop that you work for, put a a thing, a picture of said, here it is. We have it for sale. It's on the showroom floor. I shared it to my Facebook and I did it to my personal Facebook, not, not my racetrack page or anything else. And I said, the future's here, whether we want it to be or not. I don't want an electric, I don't want electric motorcycles. And, I hear and you. people that aren't, you're in, not the only one people that aren't in the industry, maybe scratching their heads as to why, but I, rather than, it's burning another 20 minutes talking about why I think e-bikes suck. We're going to have to embrace it. Yep. Uh, there's already at my track, I went to the AMA meeting, the annual sanction meeting, and they we were informed by an AMA congressman, you can't run them with the other gas-powered bikes. It's their own separate race class. class. It has to be a race class. So that'll be exciting when you say we had one and it sold out, and I got one or two that show up. You get to run a whole race for them. And... They make no noise. No noise. So you won't gonna, even know it's on. People, you're not going to know that they're on the track. Yeah. Hey, are we on break? Do I take my machine out there and do work and hit a kid? I mean, there's a lot of things that, that we haven't thought you'll have about. have to account for. So at Loretta Lentz, they have their own class. It, I will absolutely run. I have a Loretta Lentz qualifier at my track this year in April or May. I can't remember. But we have a race coming up in just a few short months. We're going to have... They have their own class. I'm going to have gate drops for these electric bikes. It's going to be interesting. It's it's. Um, what are your thoughts on it? I, it's to your point is the one that rings true the most. It's coming. You're the service manager of a of a major dealership in the Des Moines metro. Yep. 
it's not going to affect us immediately, but it's clear the future will be electric, and your point is well made. They have less moving parts. Presumably, they're going to be more reliable. There's less things to wear out, presumably. So, so I've got a Can-Am You're Defender. still going to sell tires. I've got a Can-Am HD10 Defender mm -hmm. with a cab, electric windows. It's sweet. It is so loud. To, we, we, it's legal for us to take it to a restaurant yeah. or whatever where I live. It's so loud, though. And I hear the new HVAC one is, is quieter. But They're tempting. It, it's so loud that my kid has to wear ear, earplugs or headphones. We have a little set of yeah. headphones that I keep in there. I wouldn't mind an electric one then. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's they, like, and they make those in electric too. So I'm a total hypocrite when it comes to, to this <laughs> electric e drive. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes. So let's talk about, we've got a little bit of time before we, we go to our first guest, Henry Wiles. Talk about uh, what's going uh, there's on. There's a couple racing. blurbs in the road racing world. We don't have any racing. The seasons are over, but things of note to pit pass listeners and uh, us personally, as these are some of our favorite riders. First of all, Drake, we, uh, we, we talk to him regularly. Kid we know, he is moving out of the Twins class and going uh, Super Stock 1000 racing. That's exciting. So congrats to Drake. We'll get him on. We'll talk to him about it, his team and all that. But it's just wanted to put it out there. Drake is moving up, which we all knew he would. He's crazy fast. Had an incredibly good season with his first uh, Twins win in the Moto America Twins series last year. Had his first wins. And the other big news in that very same class is my buddy and friend of Pit Pass, Chris Parrish, got sponsored big time for the class, and certainly for Chris, who's a lifetime uh, privateer, essentially. He's in my age ballpark. He's not a spring chicken. He was the 20, not, he didn't win it last year, uh, this past season in 19, but he was the 2018 Twins Cup champion for Moto America. So he's a journeyman. He got sponsored. He'll be riding a Yamaha this year, which is big news. He's historically been a Suzuki man for most of his career. He's been racing SV650s. Now we're going to see him on a Yamaha. I'm excited about it and wanted to say congratulations to Chris. Uh, it's great news. It's a pretty robust program, it looks like he's got. And Chris is the guy that had, he was selling like, you could put your name on his fairing or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. He did that. He's, uh, his, his shop out of Nashville is called Ghetto Customs. Oh, That's yeah. the name yeah. he runs under. Um, he's a super cool guy and an incredibly talented racer. All right. I want to acknowledge the passing of, of our fellow motorcycle journalist and announcer, Chris Carter. He's uh, passed away November 28th at the age of 74. So Godspeed. All right, joining us now is Henry Wiles, who is just returning from the Baja 1000. I happen to just be lucky enough to uh, run into him at a hotel room. It was pretty weird. But Henry's is one of our – I'm a huge fan of Henry Wiles. He's one of the greatest TT racers in the history of flat track racing. He is uh, – his record of winning the Peoria TT 13 times in a row is unmatched by anybody. And in 2019, he finished seventh overall in the American flat track twins class. Henry, what's up? How you been, man? I've been great. Just uh... – you know, charging hard in life and trying to get everything done, fit everything in. So I talked about Baja. It was, I was surprised, obviously, because you're a flat track guy. I know I've heard stories about you racing like um, Day in the Dirt out in California at Glen Helen and doing very well. I know you're, uh, you said, don't call me a flat tracker. I'm multifaceted. That's what you told me when I was <laughs> down on, uh, <laughs> down at the Malachi in, in San Felipe. But what led you to, do the Baja 1000 because that's pretty gnarly thing to just jump into for off-road yeah but in reality I don't think it was anything I didn't expect you know there was uh you know a mountain climb you know mountain section that I had to do I call it mountain here in Michigan but uh <laughs> you know it was pretty good rocky section that I had to do and and that that was probably about the only thing I didn't expect but I got roped into the whole thing fortunately from my buddy Lou Franco. His kid had been putting together a team with Lion Heron, who's been battling cancer. And it was a really cool deal because we kind of, you know, we were racing for Lion, who was actually in the hospital, who was supposed to race the race um, with his, his battle. And um, so we were riding for him and, and for cancer all together. So, you know, when you're doing things like that, you feel like sitting down on the seat and taking a little break. You, there's a lot of reminders why not to do that. 
besides all the rocks <laughs> and to keep charging. So how big was your team, Henry? I mean, how big of an effort were you involved in? Well, you know, like I say, uh, Lion and Quentin Franco kind of helped to manage and put, put everything together. And they, they've got, you know, hooked up with a Johnny Campbell bike. So the bike was great. At the end of the day, it's just you and the bike. And that's, you know, that's what matters until you hand it off to the next guy. And then it's about your team. And um, I think we had five other guys that rode. So, you know, A.J. Haitley, Quentin Franco, Mitch Peters, uh, Levi, <laughs> our buddy Levi there. And uh, I'm sure, I think I forget somebody else there. But, you know, it's uh, it was a, a really cool deal. I think there was only one minor crash from everybody. So <clears throat> I think, you know, that was a really uh, good thing because we were all rookies on the team. So it was... What uh, class did you ride, Henry? We, we rode pro, the pro moto. Class 22, <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, class 22. Yeah. So how did you finish? Uh, well, we ended up fourth in the class and then 23rd overall. So I don't think it was probably a bad finish for a bunch of rookies. And our our one buddy, he did uh, Mike Sky Ranch without even pre-running it, which I heard is the craziest thing you could do. So it wasn't uh, – it was a good effort, no doubt. But it wasn't, you know, like some of the guys that are trying to win it that might not be the, a similar effort to what they put in. So this year at the Baja 1000, and as you know, I was down there. I left before the race started because Ensenada was literally flooding. That That is something that – so the last, I think, four out of six times I've been in Baja, which has been pretty recent, it's been raining, which is almost wow. – you know, it's like a blessing if it rains in Baja. That's very, very yeah. uncommon. But this year, they actually delayed the race. I don't think they've only done that maybe one time in the history before this year. They've actually had to delay or change the start or anything of the Baja 1000. So the canals or the sand washes that we race through, leaving Ensenada and coming back in when it's a loop race, those are all underwater. So was there a lot of uh, like last minute scrambling and and that kind of thing? I imagine it was a lot of maybe a later uh, riders meeting and a lot of, did the guys even get to pre-run the sections that they had to change there out of Ensenada? Well, I started the race, so... Oh, it was you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, being being a rookie and not knowing any better, you know, you just follow the guy in front of you. Follow the signs, follow your GPS. <laughs> it really wasn't bad. That river or runoff canal, whatever it is there in the city, which is a main component of the out and in. Yes. That had to have been a river, right? It was, it was a, a full-on raging river. We stopped for tacos one more time, which is <laughs> on our way out. Tyler and, and I were, were leaving. I got hurt and, uh, there was, it was a straight up river. I mean, it was like, like a, any, any, it was, wasn't Mississippi, but it was big river. It was pretty, and you wouldn't want to be in it. Yeah. So the, the team name that you're on Henry and I, I, we're on podcast so we can cuss now, but I don't really, I prefer to not. It was called F cancer, right? The F word cancer. You're right. Yep. F cancer racing. Yep. Or race team. Yep. It was, uh, pretty, pretty That's cool. Awesome. You know, it was kind of a wild name, something that, I, uh, I kind of even like, you know, on my social media, I thought, Man, should I put that? Cause there's a lot of little <laughs> kids that follow my stuff. So, but yeah, I did. And it is what it is. And there's a lot of people that feel that same way. So when you're talking about, you know, the cancer and all that, you know, people kind of, whether they're saying it or not, they feel that way. Well, it can't, I mean, I just lost my dad to cancer a couple of years, almost three years ago now. And cancer affects everybody. Every, it touches yep. everybody. But I'm curious Absolutely. what the history is behind this team that you're on. There's got to be more to it than just we don't like cancer. Right. Well, like I said, our, our buddy Lion Heron there, um, who I haven't even met yet. You know, I knew one guy connected with the team but wasn't actually on the team. So I walked into, you know, meeting everybody for the first time when I was in Mexico. And um, so Lion, who I haven't met yet, but I've, you know, spoke with and, and chatted about maybe even doing some future plans in Baja. So that's really neat. And, you know, he's obviously, he's he's battling cancer now. And I know, 
you know, for me personally, it's, you know, cancer hit me pretty good back in about 06. My little brother passed away with leukemia. So, you know, there's, there's, you don't ever have to really look far to, you know, like you said, it, it, your dad and it's just, it's, it's everything. So, you know, it's everybody, but I think, well, I I know with me, you know, the way I got hooked up with these guys, I was kind of looking at doing some other forms of racing. There was a GNCC close to me in Michigan, the Ironman in Indiana. And, um, I was kind of trying to get around for that when I made the call and they said, hold on a second. If you want to do some other stuff, you want to ride Baja? And I, I absolutely, I want to ride. So he said, I think I got a team for you. And like I said, we got hooked up there, but so the cancer thing for me was just, uh, kind of an, an extra added thing to, you know, be motivated about doing well and, you know, obviously staying on high alert and getting the bike to the next guy. That was, that was the main thing, you know, don't wad this thing up, just get it to the next guy. We're talking with Henry Wiles, one of the uh, winningest or the winningest Peoria TT rider, one of the most accomplished AFT riders in the history of the sport. And one of the best dressed, if you listen to his competitors. It's uniformly <laughs> said by everyone from AFT that we've ever talked to best dressed guy in the pits. That's got to be Henry Wiles. He does wear skinny jeans, and you're like mid-30s, <laughs> so I don't know if... Uh... <laughs> That's the way they make them now. It's hard to find a, a like straight leg or something. And you know, Maybe I'm if you shop at the lie. mall. They do look good on me, though. They really do look good on me. <laughs> Oh, Henry, that's you can awesome. You wear them with dress clothes or dress shoes, you know, a dress <laughs> Motocross shirt. boots, you whatever. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Henry, <laughs> you, uh, congrats on the wedding, right? And you got a, you got a little yeah, one. Yeah, I think said, they voted me with a lot of confidence, too. You are, the fellow I, I told you this. Or the, no, that was the cockiest. It was the cockiest. That was me that said you're one of the, the most <laughs> cocky guests we've ever had. Remember we did a show at the State Fair years oh, ago, yeah. and we, it was all yeah. fly track guys, and then we got... Henry Wiles on there, and he's like, "I'm the baddest ass you ever met, and <laughs> I'm going to win, and I'm going to win, and I'm and I we hung up, and I'm like, I love talking to Henry Wiles. It is, he's, it is always fun. I don't know if we, <laughs> I think we'd probably get in fights if we hung out in, at the bar or something, but eh, it'd work uh, out. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Henry, well, are you hey, doing? If we did get in a fight, I'd be on your side, and that's going to work good for you. Absolutely. So, <laughs> you have to <laughs> so have the right we're man winning. at the back. We're winning. So, Henry, are you going to – I heard you say GNCC, and this all brings to mind a road racer friend of ours, Jake Gagne. It's awesome to see guys at your skill level and your chosen discipline go out and make meaningful you know, rides in yeah. other disciplines. I think it's awesome. It harkens back to the days of, uh, road ra- or of, of American motorcycle racing in general when guys didn't just go race one race, they went and did a flat track and a road race and maybe a hill climb. Have you got plans to do any more of this kind of stuff? Cause again, it's, I think it's awesome for the sport to see guys cross over. Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, you know, I definitely would like to do more of it. It's, uh, some of it kind of comes down to, you know, the right opportunity, which with Baja, I just really fell into this. I can't imagine, trying to organize something like that it would take a while it's a huge to, effort to do that yeah it is it really is it's a huge effort and uh, somebody's the job alone yeah exactly yeah. it's someone has to choose that as their job or you hire someone who then does it as their job but someone is doing the job of organizing entering all the things that you saw you're you're totally right i went down there with tony when uh, he and the team won the uh 500 and it was it was a lot of work. I can only imagine. It, it's a year of effort. To and get about there. 50 grand. Yep. And to a, do that. And it takes a year. I mean, it legit took a year, right? To get all wow. the pieces correct. Oh, I didn't do that much. <laughs> <laughs> you personally didn't, but I think some people were. I don't know. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's I definitely a lot of work. didn't do much, but I saw, you know, what it took as far as you're going there with these two guys and you're going over here with these two guys, you're going to meet us back over here with that guy. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot lot of of logistics, uh, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you being like PJ said, you being at the level that you are, you put race programs together year in and year out for flat track and TT and with AFT. So, you know, some of that, what it takes to race at that level. Let's yeah. talk about flat track. You've got 
Um, and, and really, not to interrupt you, but that's kind of what had me looking at other things, you know, with with you know, dirt track and the the where it's kind of the way it's kind of changing. I I thought, well, you know, I can go and have fun there, or maybe I could go and have fun at other races. And, but do you think okay, you so know, that with being my said, ability and my you know the I'm not that great on a motocross bike, but I can. I can ride around okay, and I just wanted to go see, you know, where I was at, you know, maybe at a GNCC. But they said, oh, that that race is probably one of the hardest on your bikes with all the river crossings, so maybe don't take your brand new bike down there. So that's kind of why I, I pulled the reins back, and I just tried to get ready for the Baja deal. So you're looking at other other types of racing. Are you thinking you can you there's you can put rope race programs together to make money, or is it more of a hobby? Well, I think for me it's just more of a, a test to see where I'm at. I mean, you know, I'm getting a little bit older, so you know, I think it's people a lot of times look for that young talent rather than um, the old guy that's had a lot of hidden talent. So I'm, I probably not, uh, you know, I think old guys, they need more money too. They got a family and, you know, teams know that they don't, they don't, they just, Hey, yeah, we'll pick this young guy and we'll develop him. Even though I've seen that plan fall on its face a million times. And we all have in racing, you know, there's, there's no certainties, but I mean, if you look at it, the way I've thought about it is, man, that guy, he's, he's been like John Down, he got a ride when he was a little bit older compared to a lot of the kids coming up and whatever. And, you know, it makes me wonder what if somebody would have got a hold of him earlier? What if maybe, you know, and there's always the what ifs, but I, I don't know. There's Maybe he'd have been burnt out by the time he was 28, like, exactly. like a lot of his peers. You yeah, know? You don't exactly. know. There, are some, there are some late starters, late bloomers. Kevin Schwantz comes to mind. Scott Russell, for that matter. Guys who Yo. didn't start out as little kids I'm racing. still hoping to bloom at some point. Yeah, at some point, <laughs> yeah. I figure I'm going to learn how to ride a motorcycle pretty well. <laughs> I keep trying. So you're 35, right? You're just married. Congrats. Kid on the way. I want to talk real quick and we've just got a couple minutes left. 2020 plans for flat track. Well, I, I know for sure. I'm definitely going to be racing some races. I don't think I'll be racing the full schedule on the twins. And to be honest, that's about as far as I got. I got married after the season with some of the things that I've been looking at. I'm not sure exactly what I've, what I'm going to do, but I know for sure that there is going to be some racing involved as far as the dirt track goes. And there might be other forms of racing involved as well. But, uh, you know, right now after, after the gym here, I got to get back home and redo the floors. So I just got done painting and <laughs> awesome, <laughs> awesome day of it. Nesting. <laughs> That's yep. great. Get well, ready congrats for on the, on the wedding. Congrats on the kid on the way. Congrats on getting out of Baja without getting hurt. Like I did. Absolutely. And uh, 2020, it can't come soon enough. Make sure you got my number. Make sure we're in the loop. And, and anytime you got something cool to talk about, holler at us. We'll get you on. Okay. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again, Henry. This week's trivia question of the week here on Pit Pass is what year and where was motocross or scrambles racing invented? Stay tuned for the answer after our interview with Kyle Cunningham. All right, uh, joining us now is Kyle Cunningham, a guy that we've seen ride as a privateer and as a guy on a factory satellite team and many different teams over the years. Uh, he, I would call him a privateer journeyman at this point, almost 30 if he's not already. Join us now, Kyle Cunningham. What's up, Kyle? How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Just out in California. How are you guys? Good. So I understand you've signed with a team, and I do want to talk a little bit about 19, 2019 season, the, the outdoor, because it's it's interesting to me to see some of the finishes going back and looking through your season. It looks like you it was hit or miss on some of the races, but the ones that you did show up for, pretty respectable, but it looks like you're on a team this year. Talk about that. Yeah, it's going good. Uh, you know, I was at home not long ago working on things for this coming season with Todd Hansen and 
you know, some things just changed. And, uh, man, that guy helped me out a ton this year. He's one of my really good friends, more like family. And I got a phone call from the HEP guys who I rode for in 2018, Dustin Pipes, Aaron Pipes, Billy, Richard, uh, everyone that I spent a year with and asking me if I was interested in coming back and doing the 450 and being a part of their program as well with Suzuki. So I have a history with Suzuki as well. I've ridden the bike quite a bit. Was really excited to get the phone call and uh, be back in a program that is going to allow me to focus a little more on the racing. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. So you're going Suzuki? Yes, sir. Talk about yes, that. Sir. Back on the Suzuki. HEP Motorsports Suzuki team. Is that right? Yes, sir. Talk about it. Who is it? Uh, it's Dustin Pipes, Aaron Pipes. Uh, they built the program in 18. That was my first full 450 season that I've actually done. This will be their third year. So I'm familiar with the bike. I spent a year on the bike already, which was good for me as uh, late as we are close to the beginning of the season, going back to a bike that I'm comfortable on, that I'm familiar with, uh, think is going to make the transition a, a little easier but um you know just like i said got the call unexpectedly this happened uh, about three weeks ago four weeks ago and i hopped on a plane within three days and was out to california and have been riding testing and just preparing for the first round kyle how many uh how many riders are on your team? I mean, is it, are you the standalone 450 rep, or is there a 250 rep, uh, 250 uh, rider as well? No, it's actually a three-man 450 program for Suzuki. So it's myself, uh, Max Anstey, and Attic and Adam and Take Nap. So have you been riding or training with those guys much? If it was a late deal, I'm guessing the answer is probably no. Uh, yeah, actually, we're all we're all here. So Adam. Uh, you know, he was with the team last year. Majority of his testing is, you know, pretty done or pretty close um, just from spending a year with them. And like I said, for me, I had a, a good finishing point in 18 with the bike. So there were some little small things that I kind of already knew where I wanted to start with. And we've kind of went from there and made some changes so far and going to have a busy week this week. Max is new to the bike as well. So, you know, we're all up here in California. Adam took a trip to, to Switzerland, I believe, and gets back this week. So we have a uh, big testing week ahead of us, but it's been cool. Good supercross track up here for us to ride guys to do motos with, man, I'm excited. Like I said, it's a little, you know, I, I say a little late. We have uh, have time. You know, I've been training all off season and back on the bike for the last few weeks. If this rain would stop out here in California, it'd be pretty nice. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. snowing where we are, so um, no, that, so you're, it could be worse. <laughs> right, right, it can be worse. He didn't know anything about it. He's from Texas. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're coming off a of Honda, right? This summer, isn't that what I saw you race? Yes, sir. Rode a Honda 450 uh, partially. For the outdoors i actually didn't show up and race any until red bud and then i had ridden the honda 250 indoors right so coming off of the honda to the suzuki other than you're going to be kickstarting your motorcycle again <laughs> what other i mean the honda in my opinion the, the new honda behaves very similar to the suzuki but obviously we're not at your level what are the what are some of the the changes that you're going to have to to go through or have had to go through to adjust to the yellow bike I mean, getting back on the yellow bike, I think, like I said, it. I spent a year on it. Before that, I was with Gibbs the year before, and then in 2016 with Motorcycle Superstore on the Suzuki as well. So, you know, I've worked with Wheeler and those guys over at Suzuki for a few years of my career, and, you know, I'm excited to be back with them. Those guys have helped me out a ton over the years, and with the bike, you know, like I said, we spent a year of development and changing things and kind of fine-tuning things to where i like so when it comes to subframe height offsets stuff like that i already have you know a great starting point so for me i'm comfortable getting back on the suzuki i think you're right on the bikes being a little bit similar but uh you know besides not having an electric start i mean it's a it's a good motorcycle and you know i'm pumped to be back on it i think uh 
you know, in your career, you kind of learn when you spend time on certain models and with the model being the, the same as what I rode, um, in the past, I think that's going to make the transition even easier back to the yellow bike. We've seen you on, on a bunch of different teams star, obviously with the, on the two fifty. Uh, the Yamaha YOT, if my memory serves me, you were fill-in rider at JGR, is that right? Yeah, it started as a fill-in there and then ended up with an outdoor deal. Man, we could go back. 07 YOT, 2008 Butler Brothers, 2009 Canada Kawasaki, 2010 Valley, uh, 11 to 13 at Star. <laughs> the list goes on. So th- my, my question is, is going back, you've been at the factory level or at least the satellite factory level. You've been at, um, you know, you've been racing out of a, a, I think I saw you in a pickup at one of the races, Sprinter van, you know, it's, it reminds me of, of uh, you know, back in the day when that was a little more common. And you've had solid finishes. Sometimes your finishes weren't necessarily better. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going on just memory here. Sometimes your finishes weren't necessarily better when you were on those teams. You, you and, and, and your, I think it was your dad hitting these races. You've had some pretty solid rides on your own, just showing up out of a out of a van or truck or whatever. So going into this team now that you're pseudo familiar with the bike, you're familiar with the guys. What do you take into that? What do you what do you other than finishes? What do you have to offer as a rider to the team as an asset? Because you're what are you 29 30 years old you're not a you're not a rookie yeah, you ought 30. to be good at testing by now you ought to be yeah. able to have a base setting to start with on that bike or you know close to it what do you what do you have to offer i mean you already signed so you don't have to sell them but what do you feel like you have to offer as a rider to go in there and say hey this is you know uh, this is where we need to be because rider input is huge i mean i ran a, a team wasn't very successful. It was Tylib. I ran the Tylib team for five years and we had Nick way and he's a completely different animal than a Matt Gurky and a Matt Bonnie or some of those other guys that we had. But talking about like as a rider, some riders are just easier and some riders, they know exactly what they want. And some riders don't, I assume you'd kind of know what you want to start with. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I feel like I'm in a good place. Like I said, with the bike riding it for a year, when it comes to subframe heights offsets gearing um obviously there are components that have changed from what we ran in 18 olin suspension is what we're running now and a few different things so those are things that i'm going to have to learn a little bit but you know for the most part being around the amount of time i have and spent on a motorcycle uh you know i feel like i know what I like pretty much, um, bring, yes, that testing side to the table where when it comes to fine tuning motors, suspension, stuff like that, uh, you know, I know there's some things that I'm looking for with that, but you know, these guys run a solid program. They have a lot of good people involved. And, you know, for me this year, you know, in the past, like you said, yeah, I've had great results doing it on my own, but, you know, doing it on your own and struggling to get race to race, uh, you know, is a whole different ball game when you bring in worrying about getting to the races, making sure you have the parts, making sure there's enough fuel in the car to get there. Uh, you know, basically being the team manager and rider, at the same time just weighs heavy it's uh it's really tough to focus every ounce on what you need to do and yeah i mean i might be 30 i've only had you know one full season on the 450 but that's why i'm excited about doing it again i'm going to get another year of 450 under my belt and you know i honestly at this point in my career i feel better fitness wise than i have i've been fortunate on staying healthy and i've continued to work hard i've been in the same training program for the last three years my base feels great my body feels great and you know i think over the next few weeks leading up to anaheim we make some changes and get the bike working the way i want it to i think that's going to go into you know the program and maybe even help the guys that are on the team with me as well I think we're capable of going out and putting up great results still in the past. Like you said, with my dad, when we did it out of the truck, you know, there was no T 
team side of things like yeah in 2008 i went and finished seventh overall in the outdoor season you know out of the back of a pickup this year i tried to do it a little different todd hansen myself we had the sprinter van we had a pit set up we were trying to you know make it look a little more outfitted more like a race program and you know we did that and we did a great job and trying to work out some details you know how the industry is some things changed and you know fortunately i ended up with a great spot to go do my job and show up and race the way i need to so i'm excited about that so that brings the the question kyle i mean you've your results uh, absolutely have spoken for themselves in the past. What are your realistic goals for the, for the early parts of this season? I assume they may change as the season goes on, but early part of the season, I mean, are you do you f- consider yourself a top five runner right out of the gate? I mean, I think coming out of the gate, it's uh, for us. There's gonna be some learning as we go to start. Yeah, I want to be up there with those guys. It takes getting out of the gate and putting myself up front, which you know, I haven't done in the past the greatest. I'm always getting bad starts and coming through the pack, which everyone knows I'm good at. But, uh, you know, I need to get out of the gate, get up front, get to running that speed and and see what I can do. But, you know, I'm going to A1 with an open mind. We're going to have a little less time coming in. And I know we're going to have to build as we go. But, you know, I feel that I'm capable of getting up in that top 10 and bettering those results as the season goes on. Well, we're, what, 26 days or something like that, just a little over three right weeks. around the corner, A1. And, uh, I, you know, I think I'm pretty excited for you as a rider. You can focus on your program rather than on yourself, right, rather than f- travel and, and all that stuff. I assume, that you know, you're going to be flying to all the races. Uh, West Coast is easy, but I think this could be a, a, a good year for you. I think um, if the puzzle pieces, if all the stars line up right and the puzzle pieces are there, I wouldn't be surprised if you're, uh, you know, teetering around six seventh. Is that unreasonable? Is that you, I mean, no? I, don't think I mean, I, I think I agree. I went to you know Butts Creek. We qualified sixth, and <laughs> to be honest with you, the bike that I showed up and raced was a showroom floor Honda with uh, Enzo suspension. That fortunately Craig had done a great baseline with no testing, so. I feel I'm still capable of it. I know I am, and that's the goal. I'm I'm motivated right now. I've been training for the last three months, uh, even when I wasn't riding. Body feels healthy. I I feel fit, and you know we just got to get back on that gate, put ourselves out in that good position to finish good, especially with that class being as deep as it is. All right, Kyle Cunningham. It's always fun having you on. We appreciate it. Good luck this season. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. This week's trivia question of the week. Here's a recap. What year and where was motocross or scrambles racing invented? The answer is 1924 in Surrey, United Kingdom. The first off-road racing event grew from Scottish six days trial competition. Oh, sweet. So the six day, the ISDE is was what the first organized. That's what amazing. It off. Yeah. That's a, and why ISDE is such a big deal to everyone, right? So Europe is not a surprise i mean that's obvious that it that's it was invented there but in 1924 it's a long time ago man can you imagine the junk they rode oh well and it (laughs) it reminds me of when we went moto gp racing at the brickyard there was a lot of history that was thrown around at that time guys like uh nikki hayden rest in peace uh got invited to go ride the first motorcycle that ever raced at Indy, and they they put him in a period correct outfit. It was like 1904. Wow! They had him ripping around the high banks on a 1904 type machine. So yes, I can't imagine it because I've seen it. Uh, and you've got board trackers at one of your events, akin to that era of motorcycle. 100. percent And the the history behind that this event that we do in Davenport is uh, you know it's like the 30 some year coming up 34 years or something like that it's incredible the, the guys th- there's people that come from japan and all over the world to watch these board trackers compete it's pretty neat all right pit pass moto is an evergreen podcast production but before that it was pit pass radio and we've done that for 16 years now it's been 2003 we started it when i say we it was scott casper and myself, Scott had the relationship with the radio station, and Scott was announcing my races. 
And I think we were the first and longest running, maybe the only motorcycle radio show that existed that, that ran that long. And it was before podcasts even existed. It was, it was, uh, or if it was a word, I don't think podcast was a word. And if it was, it wasn't common. I think the internet was still, we still had to, to like wind it up at the front of the uh, computer, like Model A car. It was, it's been a long time. I remember it was 2003. I was living in a crappy uh, apartments in West Des Moines and uh, running races. It was about the year I think I was selling my racetrack that I now run again. And uh, Scott came to me and he said, how about we talk about your races and we can sell advertising and actually make money at it, promoting your stuff. And I said, well, how would that work? And uh, Scott, you were, I really think you had a vision that uh, has evolved over the years. But I think that the, uh, I think we have, a, have established a place in motorcycle media. I know that a lot of road racers tune in professionally and amateur guys, flat track, off-road, supercross, motocross, arena cross. We were heavily involved in arena cross. Got burned by Mike Kidd one time. You know, it was good lessons to learn over the years. And I want to th thank you for for everything that you've done for motorcycle racing and for me. Well, we've had some fun, some great co-hosts over the years. And, uh, you know, we couldn't have done it without many of them, like Mark Bennell, for example. Uh, you know, Mark was there. Uh, during a time of development, he brought a lot of phone numbers with him. People that uh, may, it was easier to get in touch with these people. We could probably figure out a way, but Mark was a conduit and an on ramp to a lot of the folks he knew uh, in motorcycle racing. And you mentioned uh, Kid. Well, what Kid did basically was protect his own. You know, well, uh, it, it may not have agreed with or set well with you and I and and other people involved in our our broadcast, but. Um, you know, it's it's always everybody's their own vision of what they are and what they do. You know, when DMXS went on the uh, went on there, they you know they had an idea of what what um, you know they wanted to do with with their podcast. Do you remember when they made fun of us? Well, sure. It was, and I hated it at first, and then you're like, dude, it's funny. Yeah. And it's and it's good. It, it was they were promoting us on their show. It was awesome. And now you've got Steve Mathis with the Pulp MX. Of course, if you're in motocross. Mm -hmm. You've heard of that. He's he's in bed with with uh, Racer X, Racer X, David Coombs right. and his and his team. So, Jason Wygant. I mean, really, I remember staying on the couch at, at Steve Mathis's house because we had a common friend, Alan Brown, and he had those Basset hounds that would like slobber on you, and I'd get hair all over myself. It was gross. But Steve still, I think, still lives in the same house in Vegas, and he was quizzing me about the radio show, and he said, "What do you what do you think about doing a thing?" And I said. Yeah, whatever. And if, at first, I kind of felt like, crap, he's going to be doing something that we're, you know, kind of taking something from us. But honestly, I, I've, I've listened to some of his shows, and and uh, you know, I'm not. I wouldn't say he he copied us because he did something completely different. But we definitely were in the motorcycle industry anyway. We were pioneers in what we did. Well, his his is really a podcast. It's just a conversation between people, whoever he has on. And that's cool. You know, we were a radio show first and foremost, and that's what I grew up in is radio, you know. And uh, it's, a, it's a different animal. It truly is. You could have commercial breaks and and uh, music in and out. There are characters that come and go and, and, and sponsors. That's how we pay for it being on the air. Um and we also decided at the time, you know, we're going to podcast it and stream it at the same time. You know, that made sense because we wanted it to be available to everybody. And after all, what we were talking about really had a national impact. I remember when we first were doing it, we were talking about local racers, local events. And I'm like, this sucks. I am so bored with this. And, you're, and I said, let's talk about pro racing. And you said, well, that's fine, but you're going to have to be able to get a hold of them. And so... I think when we had Ricky Carmichael, when I asked him and he said, sure, I'll do it. I think that was kind of the turning point for us. Like, oh, and, and like Tony Alessi over the years. Right. He finally quit asking me who else is on the show like a couple of years ago. But I'm like. Well, I'm not going to do the show unless, you know, Ricky Carmichael's on the show. Well, he was, he's you like, know, I was, don't want my. Your buddy Bob Hanna. What about your buddy uh, Bob Hanna? Bob Hanna. Once Bob was on the show, that, that allowed us to go back and pick up a lot of veterans, which <laughs> for me. <laughs> Which was cool because I like a lot of the veterans and their stories because they were there at the beginning, you know. 
What what is that? Uh, the film is it any Sunday on, on any, any Sunday? Sunday? Yeah, I mean, you look at all those guys that re- have seen that film over and over and over again. They watch it for a reason, you know. Those are their heroes, and now they are old dudes like Bob Hanna that are crusty and and <laughs> sour and hurt, broke, broke down. I I I have a little history with Bob Hanna and. Well, I'll spare the story again in case somebody's been listening for the last 16 years. But Bob Hanna was mean to me when I was a kid, and I'm still pissed about it. Yeah, you so, are. Uh, wouldn't sign your poster, right? Uh, he wouldn't. Even, he didn't even want to talk to me. I was at Loretta's playing in the dirt, and I, somebody's like, that's Bob Hanna. And I had posters of Bob Hanna. I'm telling you what, when I got back from Loretta's, I was like seven. I ripped those posters in half, threw them in the garbage. And I remember my mom's like, what happened to your Bob Hanna poster? It's torn. And I go, I ripped it off. I don't like Bob anymore. So, yeah. It's- and that's a statement. You know, when a kid rips down his poster, I felt the same way about Barbie Benton. Of his hero. Of his hero. Yeah, mine was Barbie Benton, the Playmate of the Year, you know, when she dissed me. <laughs> Years later, I told her about it at the Playboy Mansion West, and she got such a kick out of it. I said, you have no idea what young hearts you broke. And I said, when you married Jimmy Connors, I said, everybody, you know, pretty much walked away from the Barbie Benton fan club. You know what? I have fact-checked this guy. Just sit here, my strangest friend. And I have fact-checked. And that says a lot. <laughs> it's not a small group of, of weird friends. Okay, so I've fact-checked so many times Scott Casper's stories about, he's like, yeah, I was at the something something mansion with, with CeeLo Green and Randy Couture, and Randy slaps him on the ass and says, and I'm just like, he didn't do that. And then you're talking to Randy, and I go, who you talking to? Randy Couture. There's corroborating say, evidence. Randy, did this happen? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's, so it's, it's true. Uh, yeah, it's, it's – you have cross paths with so many famous – it's the most random – if they could make a movie, I don't know how it would end. It, we'd have to write a good ending, right? But I, I don't know that there needs to be an end. I think that's part of life is just experience and share it, and dig into it the best you possibly can and enjoy every single minute. And that, for the most part, has been this particular program, you know, enjoying the time spent together, you know, bench racing a bit, but talking to guys that get out there and get after it. And then the little kids, some of the little kids that we've had on have, and it doesn't matter their discipline, but they get after it. And some of them are more schooled and, and well-prepared. Uh, than others, but um, you know that that really has been one of the highlights of this show is is being able to build these youngsters up, and they are prepared to talk about their experience and who sponsors them, and and even request sponsorship. You know, I think that was pretty cool. You know, they get on, they request sponsorship, it helps them go racing. What's wrong with that? Nothing. We have helped actually. We've helped pro racers put together programs. We put it out there, and they have and they have said time and time again that they use their interview to talk about, to announce their program for the next year or to get sponsors. Somebody, Hey, how does somebody get a hold of you? That's something you're always good at. Scott. Right. How does somebody get a hold of you if they want to be a part of your program? And time and time again, they would say it was because they were on pit pass and that's how they, it's been cool. It's Drake been Beecham is a good example. Uh, there's the other young man who was, uh, I can't remember his name, but Southern California. And he had a, a very famous, former racer and mechanic as his instructor and um did, did, did just so many of them and i think drake will tell you that you know because he's friends with keanu reeves people treat him differently i don't i don't think they treat him differently i think they treat him with more respect and he's definitely on his way up drake specifically he's moving classes this year the other guy that recently really impressed both you and i scott i remember in the studio is uh Mr. Jigalov, Damian Jigalov, young racer that is absolutely yeah. on fire and clearly going places in the road racing world. Nice kid. Well, you know what? Parents are so huge. If we could hold out what a parent should be doing and, and how they should be interacting with their kid in the sport, his parents, I think, are, are great examples of not being what I call stage mothers or fathers, living their life through their kid. You know, allowing these kids to have a good time, have fun, 
you know, being a part of the sport. And I think that's it's it's really an important thing. You know, you see these moms and dads chasing their kids around on 50s or whatever um, when these kids are racing. You know, that that could be fun. But when you hear them encouraging them to be better, here's what we could do different next time as opposed to here's what you did wrong. So you have been involved in wrestling and there is some crossover. I've never had any kind of rest. I don't, I don't wrestle. I'm not into wrestling at all. A lot of guys, a lot of motocrossers, especially I know have spent the winters training on, the, on the wrestling mat for yeah. motocross and vice versa, I suppose in the summer, you're still involved. You were at a, an event this weekend. Yeah, I was in Greenville, South Carolina. It's kind of the backyard of Justin Brayton, but you mentioned wrestling. While Justin was involved in wrestling, as a matter of fact, it was a wrestling coach that would throw Justin's bike in his in the back of his truck and take him to the uh, Troy Bennett. Yeah, take yeah. him to the pits, and and Troy will claim <laughs> he's not shy about it. He'll 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 lay claim to some of the success that Justin Brayton. Uh, has had you'll lay claim to the other part of it, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> it was it was so much fun knowing that there are wrestling officials and coaches and parents that are involved in racing because there is a similarity. It's a a team sport in many ways, but it's individual effort and individual uh, uh, hands get raised. Whether you're on top of a podium or whether you're uh, at a racetrack, you know, it's, it's for me. That's kind of cool that there was that crossover, albeit a natural one and unexpected. It was still very nice and a nice surprise. Everywhere I go, it's like uh, working for Wiseco. I'll be at a GNCC setup, and I'll say, and I'll say on the show, "Hey, I'm going to be in Florida next weekend right. at the GNCC or or whatever, or even in my own driveway at my own racetrack." There's there's a kid named Ben from the Omaha area that races and he just he's gotten really active at the track lately but he's uh you know he's like why don't you tell me you do a podcast and i've always been like i do a radio show right. i'm gonna go do a radio show but uh it is different it's um but it's it's so many different people have over the years reached out and said hey we we you know they they listen and stuff it's been Including sponsors. But, you know, we could not have been on the air for as long as we have been without sponsors. You know, you look back at, at the corporate dogs we chased because they didn't quite get what we were doing, but yet they were always willing and able to come on the show and talk <laughs> about what they're doing. And I don't care who it is. You know, the good folks from Feld did see uh, the import of supporting us financially. So thanks to Feld. I don't always agree with what they've done, but I don't see their books. I don't see their bottom line of why they would eliminate Arena Cross from their offering or why they would eliminate the uh, the circus. But, you know, sometimes it's okay to stop beating your head against the wall. You know, and I don't want to go down that road too much about Arena Cross because we could spend an hour, two hours, three hours talking about why Arena Cross was so good and, and the things that they they felt they being felt screwed up. I think they screwed the sport up when they were doing briefcases, you know, inverted starts, all the stuff to keep Tyler Bowers from being able to go out there and completely lap the entire <laughs> he field. He was my favorite too. He was he definitely was good at arena cross, and he quit arena cross because he got tired of them. Try, everything they did, it felt like to him, it felt like they were trying to make it harder for Bowers to win, and That's he'd exactly still come out doing. on top. Yeah, but. You know, arena cross is was something that was, <clears throat> you know, I raced arena cross a long time ago, and it was in Des Moines. The opening round for many years was in Des Moines. I think, you know, motorcycles are super expensive now. They've gone way out of control, in, not just with inflate. You know, inflation so much has gone. Motorcycles are three times what inflation has been in mm -hmm. the last 40 years, 30 years, the price of them for, to go racing. Arena Cross, I think, was absolutely a feeder for Iowa Motocross because it was the opening round. Right. So many people would come, not necessarily that it was the opening round, but it was well promoted. The best, the most successful promoter in Iowa, still to this day, in my opinion, is Feld. I agree. Be motorcycle promoter, because the rest of us, we do our best to keep our doors doors open. Feld made money. And so, and so did the dealers that were affiliated with it. You look at what, you know, the early uh, dealers that got involved with Arena Cross, they had something that they were supporting as much as they possibly could financially. And let's face it, it's been a razor-thin level between profit and loss, or a razor-thin line, I should say, 
Uh, and, and there are dealers out there that really went above and beyond, even perhaps further than, than most could have or should have. Don Van Howling spent money. Oh, a lot of money. Lee Lundstrom here and there spent money on it. Tony Tice, everybody that calls to the show, by the way, spent their own money to promote uh, racing by being a co-host on the show, driving, putting their life at risk on motorcycles and deer. And to my point about <laughs> arena, <laughs> arena, I still do. Arena Cross, I think I think that was also, a, and there's not as many fair races as we see in Iowa. No. I think that was a driver to get it in front of people that aren't doing it, but they want to be involved. Yeah. So it, it got people to go to the bike shop and just ask the question, what does it take and where can I go? You know, and that's what I'm proud of with Pit Pass. We've, over the years, we have continued in, to be a, a, a part of, getting people involved in, in riding, being on radio yeah. is my point. You know, podcasts are great. and, and um, well, That's know, a destination. A podcast is a destination. Radio um, serves destination and accidental tours, right? Uh, you, you come across it accidentally. And if we're doing our job on air, then, you know, you, you suck them in with the storyline and, and the topic, hopefully. Uh, and if you don't, you know, usually you have a listener for 15 minutes. A podcast fan will sit down and listen for an hour or two, and it's appointment radio. It's appointment podcast. It's something you subscribe to. It comes up on your phone or your personal device, whether you like it or not. It's there, and it's your choice then to listen or not. Yeah, I think um, many, you know, my mom would listen to us on the, on her way to church. So that was two. <laughs> including my mom. So I would be, well, she was my stepmother. Uh, but, there, you know, that's cool. We also had a lot of folks that stopped in the studio over the years to become part of, you know, what we were doing. I remember I had a greater goal in bringing Evil Knievel and his son Robbie back together again because they were feuding rather publicly. And I thought, what better way to do it than publicly put the two together? And it broke down into a, a swearing contest. It did. It, it wasn't formatted for radio. No. And it didn't work. Or anything, really, for that matter. That happened on Pit Pass. It was, I'm telling you, that, there's so many, so many different, having Evil Knievel on was Interesting. It was pointless, really. I mean, what's Eva going to talk about? One of his three failed uh, events or jumps that, you know, were national news. Uh, Clearly, the, you're not an Evil Knievel fan. No, I love Evil. I love the fact <laughs> that he's one of the best promoters our sport ever had. Remember what it was like before Evil Knievel, and then remember what it was like afterwards. When Evil hit whatever ramp on the up, sales went up. When he When he went down the other side... I don't know if it affected it in a negative way, but I'll guarantee you the red, white, and blue is flying, you know, proud no matter what. I was always surprised when I'd watch the, and I wasn't, I didn't watch them live. I've always watched YouTube videos, but how he didn't crash. He had the worst jumping style straight up and down. He had the worst motorcycle as well. No arguments. Well, the worst 13. motorcycle, and I watched him live. It was awesome. With full extension, with full extension, he had 13 inches of travel, right? And those nowhere near that on his Harley. No, uh, more like six. Was it six? Six, six inches and then tops. Travis, or excuse me, not Travis, but um, uh, who recreated his drums? Pastrana. Uh, Travis yeah. P. It was Travis. Yeah. Uh, so he had what three inches of travel? Uh, no, I think he had uh, more like. In Indian, it was in the six range, five, six. I thought it was considerably less because they were making a big deal out of it on the broadcast. Considerably less than Travis's normal everyday motocross bike, which would be what we have. He what we handled. All see. You gotta. He rode the modern Indian, which yeah. is comparable, at least in overall form, to what Evil was doing. It's heavy V-twin, short suspension. So is Travis that much a better rider, that much better a rider than, than Evil can even? I have to think so, absolutely. <laughs> they surely even a better the jumper. They are not in the same ballpark. <laughs> Travis knew what he was doing. Evil, having watched all of them, never really knew what he was doing. No. It was, uh, I'm going to do it, hope I don't die. He had some of the best pictures of him taken at the top of a ramp before a jump with the flag flying in the background. That was Americana right there. Funny. All right, Scott, I just wanted to say thank you for for a decade and a half of yeah. friendship and well, everything we've been that friends you've, longer than that. Well, I mean, on a weekly basis though. We've been we've been uh I mean, we talk daily practically, but seriously, thank you. I love you. Love you too. Thank I you for it. for creating this. Thank you for everything you've done and continue to do and 
High five. Well, on behalf of all of us, I want to thank all of our co-hosts over the years. I want to thank iHeartMedia, Joel McRae, Van Harden, uh, Andrew Downs, everybody that really, Jeff Kahn, everybody that was there to keep us on the air. Jack and Leanne. Uh, Jack and Leanne. That was one of my closers, and you just walked all over it. So, uh, <laughs> no, Jack and Leanne, you know, were there as a team. When we needed somebody with some stability and radio experience, they really did help. Uh, were they the best on the Internet? No, but they weren't designed to be. You know, we, we made them into and requested that they become as strong as they became. And I think they did a great job. But more than anything, the listeners that we heard from, those that uh, were online, those that listened on radio, and those that wrote us and talked to us at events, I think that all was pretty cool because it gave us the reassurance that not only were they listening, they were able to spit back parts of programs that we didn't even realize we were saying, let alone they were listening close enough to be able to give that information back to us. And that's pretty cool. You know, you mentioned uh, Don Van Howling. Well, Bart Hicklin has been uh, a stalwart when it comes to uh, supporting us all these years. Hicklin Power Sports in Grimes, Iowa, they just were always there. They believed in what we believed in, that there is something beyond just selling a motorcycle, you know? And it's, it is service. It's more than just parts. It's the people that are going to twist that wrench and ride that ride or get on a sled. You know, one of the stories I remember, I was told uh, about a guy bought a, a, uh, a sled and he went home to his garage and he couldn't wait to start it up. Problem was he kept starting it up and he ruined his brand new sled in his garage. Oh, yeah. And apparently you need snow. <laughs> it's a coolant. Yeah. It was either, was it, it was a sled, PJ? It was a sled. Was a sled. Okay. <laughs> He's excited. <laughs> Apparently, those engines are somewhat restricted when covered by warranty. So, <laughs> anyway, it's been fun, and I, I do appreciate the opportunity to be able to spend with you, PJ, and, and uh, like I said, our many others. It was cool to see Jeremy, for example. Uh, I have my favorite uh, breakfast joint down there on the Des Moines South Side. And uh, it was, you know, always it's always surprising. I turn around, there's somebody else from the show. So... I don't care if you're a GT is putting a motorcycle on top of the bar and burn and doing a burnout. And your name's Tony Wink. There are certain little stories that go a long way. That was Harry Marys. Was it Harry Marys? Harry Marys. We did the burnouts after the, the arena. See those? That was the best parties, man. We. Oh, the, the arena was, cross parties. Yes. Yeah. So good. So, well, and, and they're still like the old timers like me. They're still. They're yeah, like you're one of the cross. old timers. Isn't that something? Forty-two. By the way, congratulations on your thirty-plus win at Baja last year. It was. It's two years ago. Either way, I'm missing a few months. And, and listen, <laughs> you are. <laughs> I appreciate y'all listening. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on today. And uh, I'll look forward to listening on the podcast. Okay. Thank you. All right. I want to thank all our guests, including Henry Wiles, Kyle Cunningham, and of course, one of our founders here at Pit Pass, Scott Casper. Thank you, Scott, for 16 years of uh, doing this program. We appreciate it. And uh, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you get alerts when new episodes are uploaded, just like this one, of course. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter and Facebook and pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Ed Camp, our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineers, Sean Rule Huffman and Eric Coltlow. We appreciate it. I'm Tony Wink. I'm PJ. Keep the rubber side down, and we'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.